Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today as we continue our Mark series. If you were with us last week, we began in the jungle talking about a missionary who shared with his children that in such dangerous territory, you need to respond to what mom or dad say. You gotta do it right away because there's all sorts of wild animals, there's snakes, there's dangerous things. And it was a story where we we encountered the father running out of the back, busting open the screen door and yelling, son, drop and crawl. And the boy, he, he dropped and he crawled right up to dad and dad hugged him and they turned around and they saw in the tree a boa constrictor that was right over the head of the boy. And we pointed out in that story how important it is to follow when? Immediately. Followed immediately. Not, not in a little while, not later, but immediately. What did Jesus ask us? What did Jesus ask his disciples? What is Jesus asking us still? To follow immediately? Well, in our first section, it was to become fishers of men. Not fishers of fish, that's what they were doing, but fishers of men. And we cast a net. We cast a broad net. And in the first service, church, I did so much better casting that net. In the second service, I really blew it for you guys. So we went back and looked at the tape, put it side by side, because I was convinced it was a mechanical error with the net, not the user but we did verify it was absolutely all my fault. So, so I, I do need to work on my casting of a net. But that's one of the desires we have here at Renew Bible is to cast a large net and to do so immediately. In fact, we made a challenge that when we see the word immediately in our text, that we are going to say it out loud as a reminder of the speed and the action and the pace that Jesus' ministry is taking that Mark wants to point out in this gospel of action. But today I wanna take you to a baseball field. Down in Florida, where a college team was playing games down there early part of the season, and they were using this Florida trip, not only to take advantage as a Northeastern University, but to take advantage of the fact that it's warmer and, and some of the area attractions. And so being in Florida, they went to Disney the one day, went to a, a park or whatever. And uh, that night, the team was supposed to gather for team time. Now this was a Christian university, so team time meant Bible study. They would get together and, and, and do that time. And then um, they had a curfew. Well, team time came around that night and the coach looked throughout his team and noticed there was a player not there. And it wasn't just any player, it was his best player. He missed team time. (sighs) How irresponsible, especially since you're the best player on the team. Clearly, and everyone knew it, there's a responsibility that goes with that. A coach can't just let that go. When it's the best player, there's, there's an accountability that comes with that kind of giftedness. And the coach shared that now he was upset because he was gonna have to hold that 
player accountable. <laughs> that night curfew came around. And that player didn't make curfew. Now it goes from upset to angry to even a little bit uh, concerned for this wasn't like him. And so they began to search for him. They began to look for him. And coach was upset. He was sharing how upset he was. And he's looking for him. He's getting concerned, mixed with anger. And they're looking around. They're staying at a camp. And as he passes the cafeteria, he spots the player. He said, I went in ready to ream him out. And I noticed his body was shaking, which was odd. He walked up to him and he said, uh, my presence, he began to sob. And now he's concerned, okay, um, uh, did he lose a parent? Did he get a phone call? What's going on? He said he came up and he placed his hand on the young man and his body was just kind of convulsing, sobbing. He said, what, what is it? He said he couldn't even talk. Couldn't even talk, just sobbing, sobbing, and sobbing. So he said, he finally got his words. And he said, coach, when we went to the amusement park today, I saw all those people and it hit me. All these crowds, how many people are gonna go to hell if they don't know the good news and respond to it? Now, that's a perspective change for a coach. This week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I said, Lord, I need kind of an example of a time when someone had the right perspective and everyone was looking for them thinking that they were being irresponsible. And I went to a sports banquet and the coach led off with that illustration. I called the coach. I said, I, I need to get more details. And he happily told me it again. I said, what did you say? Well, I said, what are we gonna do about it? Because now it's not about punishing him. He's been moved by compassion. How many of you find that a little uncommon for a star collegiate athlete to be selfless? And here this young man is, not worried whether he's gonna get benched tomorrow. We might lose the game. I mean, we can't not have our best player. Now I gotta bench you because you missed, missed curfew. He's not worried about, well, well like, and that, now I gotta hold him accountable in front of the other players. I said, what'd you say? He said, I, I said, what are we gonna do now? And what they chose to do was such an encouragement to me because it was all because not only this player, 
But upon hearing about this player, the rest of the team was also moved by compassion and they made a decision for the rest of their trip. And what they did inspires me to this day. And I pray inspires you. And if you pay attention to the whole sermon, you'll hear what they did because I want you to see that they couldn't be more Christ-like in their approach than what they chose to do because they were moved by what? Compassion. Church, church. Don't, don't hear this. Please don't let the devil in here with guilt and shame. This is not said in guilt and shame, okay? But please hear this. If you're a child of God, I wanna inspire you. Maybe let the Holy Spirit convict you. That right now, there's a temptation to do a lot of looking at the crowds and being annoyed and angry and frustrated and upset. What they're saying, what they're doing, how they're living, how it's impacting your comforts or your life. And there's a lot of Christians who talk about the lost, but not many Christians who actually talk to the lost. Are you someone who talks about the crowds? Or are you someone who talks to the crowds? When you look at the crowds of society, are you moved with anger and annoyance? And this makes me sick. Do you hear this stuff? Can they not see? Or are you moved with, look at the screen behind me, compassion. Because Jesus, scripture says, when he saw the crowds, he was moved by compassion. Can I ask you, does he need to become greater and you become less? Because scripture's pretty clear. Anger is one of the ways the enemy can get a foothold. And I pray by the end of this message today, we all do some self-examination and say, do I look at people the way Jesus does? Well, my Jesus, well, my Jesus, we're not interested in your Jesus. I'm not attacking you. We're interested in hearing about the Jesus from scripture. This is who he is. And this young man being moved by compassion when looking at the crowds could not be emulating his savior more. So we open the gospel of Mark today. We're gonna finish chapter one and I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna open the scriptures. Guess how fast? Immediately. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we love the gospel of Mark for it is the gospel, the good news about your son, Jesus, and how he lived. And what a testament to us on how to view people and may his life inspire us to do the same. But that's not gonna come if we're looking at this with a selfish agenda. If we wanna become greater, then he will always become less. But that is not the formula of the forerunner, nor is it the formula that leads to a life that exemplifies Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray that you would clear the place of distraction. I pray that we would be able to focus on your word. And I pray that we would hear from you 
For Lewis, this is one of the enemy's tricks on so many children of God to look at the crowds with anger and judgment as if we deserve how good you've been to us. Oh, how good is he? May we live with that attitude of gratitude in the way we approach our lives. And may we be moved with compassion. Amen. And they went into Capernaum and help me immediately. Like really, Mark? I'm telling you guys, okay? Watch how much today. So stay focused, all right? If you, if you check out, I'm gonna use immediately to get you back, okay? All right, uh, so they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Hmm. Where did Jesus begin his ministry? He entered the synagogue. I put that in my journal. Entered the synagogue. I'm gonna to try to point out three things every time we make a note in our journals here or in our Bibles or in the margin or in your notes app or whatever you use. He entered the synagogue. This is where he began. Now, now, for many of us, okay, a predominantly probably Gentile crowd, you're like, what's a synagogue, right? Okay, this is like some sort of, this is obviously a Jewish place of worship. Now, synagogues, the word synagogue, um, if it's unfamiliar to you, a synagogue often was a group of people gathering for worship. And over time, the word kind of morphed into the facility or the building. Very similar to the word church, right? For church means ecclesia or the body of Christ gathered together, children of God, right? But we often refer to this building as a church. But I can assure you, it's not really great when you guys aren't here, especially fourth and arch. When that thing is empty, oh my word, it's like, good night, everybody. And you close the door and you're like, hello, all right? Terrifying at night. I'm sure it's fine, but it is scary in a church by yourself, okay? I've got lots of stories. Not all positive and not always look me looking good, okay? There has been jogging at times. <laughs> he entered the synagogue on, on what kind of day? What, what, what day? Anybody know? On the Sabbath. Okay, now, Jews, they worshiped every single day. They weren't really necessarily just celebrating. You know, we obviously, they, they be, we began to see more worship happening on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week, but the last day of the week was Sabbath. And that is because the Mosaic law, okay, had a law in there that said, rest on the Sabbath, refrain from working. And so that was often the day they would gather at these synagogues, okay? And Jesus goes there and they hear his teaching and they're what? astonished. Now, when's the last time you've been astonished? I, I'm having trouble myself. I think there's been some things that I've gone, oh my word, I can't even believe that. They're astonished by it. And here's why I want you to note that. For those of you who enjoy a little bit of the scholarly look at the gospel of Mark, Mark mentions people's emotions. It's a big deal to him. It's part of the way he writes we believe, and it's been affirmed in a lot of different areas, that Mark was gathering a lot of his information about Jesus from Peter himself. 
And so Peter being an emotional guy, it's not that much of a surprise that Mark constantly mentioned emotion. So now that I share that, have you ever, have you ever not noticed the type of vehicle and then you bought one and you see it everywhere? Now that I've mentioned immediately, are you seeing it, right? Now that I've mentioned that Mark leverages emotions, I want you to watch for it as you read it yourself or as we go through the gospel Mark. They're blown away by his teaching because he speaks as one having authority. See, the scribes would say, in the law it is written, the, the Pharisees would say, you should not do this. In fact, they added laws to the Mosaic laws as well as the ceremonial laws that told them what they could do and not do on certain days of the week, on how they cleansed themselves, all sorts of laws. And so imagine gathering together to hear a Sadducee or Pharisee speak. It's all gonna be nitpicking. You cannot do this. You can't, like super inspiring stuff. And then Jesus comes along and he captivates them. He's a master storyteller. He leverages their emotions. And on top of that, he's inspiring. He's encouraging. They listen to him and they're blown away. But the thing that caught their attention was he spoke with authority. I remember writing, young people, when you get to college, you get to university, you're gonna find that some professors are, they just picked that one thing and it drives you crazy trying to please him, right? Well, I had a professor, he would get all over me for writing, I think, okay? Well, I think, one of the things, he's, Chris, I know it's you, it's your paper. You don't have to say, I think. Have authority in your writing. I want all the eyes out, get them all out. I'm like, well, uh, well, I was thinking, again, okay, all right, right. I think it's true that, no, say what you wanna say. You're wasting words. And it made me really begin to clarify. As annoying as it was, it clearly obviously impacted me. I'm still sharing it. But speak with some sort of authority on your opinion. Well, Jesus wasn't one to go, now, you know, I just wanna run this by you. He spoke with an authoritative language. And it, and it blew their minds. Scripture continues. This is a very busy busy day in Jesus' life. And Mark points that out by going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And he says this, and then, ready? Immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out in the middle of Jesus speaking. Now, now, now before we discuss what he said, now before we hear what he said, I believe that just said unclean spirit. Now, unclean spirit and demon are used basically synonymously in the book of Mark. And so we are about to hear about or hear from a demonic being coming from this man speaking to Jesus. So before we do that, let's get just a little bit of background because this is gonna come up a lot in the gospel of Mark. What is an unclean spirit? Well, first thing I wanna mention is they are fallen angels. When Lucifer, seeking to be like the Most High, he was obsessed with becoming like Elielon, the Most High God, or the Holy One. That was a big deal to Lucifer. I will ascend, I will be like him. I want to be like the Most High God. People didn't speak like that. The Old Testament referred to him like that. 
this holy one. And a third of the angels, Revelation says, were swept away with him. So now we see that there's this demonic realm of fallen angels and they have a purpose. Did you know that? I'll point out just a couple. One is to hide the truth. Second Corinthians tells us that they have blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. There is a demonic realm seeking to hide the truth from people so they just don't see it. You mean to tell me so many people who don't know Jesus as their savior are just being lied to and manipulated and blinded intentionally? Their goal is to arouse division. They want to create as much division as possible. Did you know that a bitter and jealous spirit is called devilish in James? Where there is bitterness and envy, the demonic realm is hard at work. The demonic realm loves when society is full of anxiousness and anger and outrage. And you will see their activity grow as the days draw near, scripture reminds us. Another thing they seek to do is entice bondage. They want addictions. They want people completely bound by their habits and destroy their lives. Satan hates the crowds. And he wants as many of them to burn with him. And they seek to invoke all kinds of evil. Acts reminds us that Satan sometimes fills the heart. Crowds are being targeted by the unclean spirits, the evil supernatural realm. They're fallen angels. And scripture also calls them deceiving spirits. We will see demonic activity in people throughout the gospel of Mark. Some of the signs of demonic activity, of course not these other things don't mean always demonic activity, but some of the signs we will see of a person experiencing demonic attack, we will see physical illness in the gospels. Luke 13 calls it a spirit of infirmity. We will see mental impairment. We will see bodily convulsions. We will see harsh confrontations. For the demonic realm sometimes even voices through people, especially in the time of Christ. And that's about what we're about to hear. Jesus is speaking in the synagogue. People are astonished by his teachings. And a man with an unclean spirit calls out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus, scripture says, rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. 
and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Boy, that'll interrupt a church service, huh? Hello. And they were all amazed. So that they began to question among themselves. What is this? I don't know. What do you think? What, what is this? Did you just see that? Is it a new teaching? You think it's a new teaching with authority? I don't know. I'm thinking, what is this? I know. I'm thinking the same thing. Look at that. I mean, uh, did you see that? Yeah, I know. He commands even the unclean spirits to, and they obey him. That thing listened. Unclean spirits being inside of people was not new to this time period. They would try tricks. They would try spells. They would try all sorts of different things you'll see throughout. Even Simon the Magician you'll read about in the book of Acts. There was all sorts of things going on, but they saw this and they were confused. And you know what happened? Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. You will see in this beginning stage of Jesus' ministry, him just trying to hold down the crowds. For Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And part of his servant ministry is to share the good news. And these crowds were coming to him because they're astonished at what he did. In fact, not only just the crowds, the unclean spirits. I wrote my notes, unclean spirits, three things I noticed. One, what have you to do with us? Woo. What have you to do with us? This is an idiom, okay? Just step into seminary here real quick. This is an idiom, all right? Which, what does that mean? That means that there was a phrase used during that time period, okay, that was often used to draw the attention to something that everybody kind of understood. Let me give an idiom, um, very similar. Um, hey, you messing with us? Did you, did you get that? When I said it, we all know what I'm kind of, I'm referring to, you, you, are, we, are we confronting one another? Hey, did you come here to mess with us? You're saying something like, like what, what are you here for? And this demon says to Jesus, are you messing with us? What have you come to do? It continues, destroy us. Child of God, when a demonic realm is around Jesus, they are terrified of being destroyed. Anybody hear that? When a demon is around Jesus, it's terrified because it's around an authority. And Jesus says, be quiet. The demon even says, you're the holy one. I know you are. Scripture tells us even the demons believe. It doesn't mean they're following. And it certainly doesn't mean they've given their life to him. There are people who might believe about Jesus, but have they given their life to following him? Even the demons believe. If you come to destroy us, and Jesus turns and says, be silent and come out of him, and it comes out, and the guy starts convulsing and screaming, and out it comes. And they say, what is this? This guy can tell demons what to do. This is a major problem in our society. And he just goes, knock it off. Now, out. And it listens. There was one man with a demon. He was so powerful, the demon actually named itself. It said, I am legion. 
And Jesus can just say, away. This is my final point. Unclean spirits are fallen angels, deceiving spirits. And here it is, here it is, defeated foes. Defeated foes. Child of God, if you have Jesus living in you, if you are in Christ, the demonic realm is a defeated foe to you, child God. Walk in victory, but respect evil. Respect evil. First Peter 5, 8 says, be watchful. You have an enemy walking around, seeking to devour. James says, resist evil. How? By drawing near to God and submitting to him. We're reminded in Ephesians, deny the devil. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. He wants to mess with a child of God. No, he can't possess you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are signed and sealed and delivered. However, he certainly wants to mess. And where we give footholds, we'll talk about this as the series goes on. We can open a door for the enemy to mess with our minds and allow a murderer and a killer and a thief to live in our heads. He wants to destroy. And so we overcome evil, 1 John 4, 4. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Wow, Jesus, that's an interesting first sermon. What happens next? Oh, I bet we got a word coming. And... Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, it's interesting. Do you know that archaeological studies in the Capernaum area have found a home that is very close to the synagogue, which they believe was where Jesus was, sitting, was, was teaching here in this day? And one of the reasons they think and are pretty certain, and in fact, it, it, it is spoken with tremendous certainty, that it was Simon Peter's house because there was something interesting about this house that the other houses didn't have. When they dug it up, they noticed that there was a section where you open the doors, there was a larger room. And excavations kind of show this kind of larger room. And on top of that, through first and second century, there's a lot of graffiti on there. And a lot of it is religious in nature, which has led archeologists to believe with, with a, a great deal of certainty that this in fact, this house was serving like a church and they were gathering in these rooms and it had been used over the years as a church and they believed that this is Simon and Andrew's home where they were living with their mother-in-law and whoever else was there. In fact, they believe with such certainty they built a church, a modern church over top of it that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Look at this place, look at this place. Hello. I mean, does I mean, how do you go to church there? Palm trees, the Sea of Galilee behind you, and they, and they leverage this so they can, obviously, so visitors can come and all these things. But it's in this home. I, I say all that. In case you're a young person and you believe that the scriptures might be a myth or something, you're reading accounts of history of Jesus's life, okay? That has a place that it occurred, and it's in Capernaum, okay, where people could even visit it today. Now, in that house, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Have you ever been so sick you can't get up? I mean, that's really sick, right? I mean, you're so sick, you're laying there like, oh, right, I, I can't even get up, right? How many of you are real softies when you get sick? I am too, I am too. My wife, she's kind of tough. She just kind of keeps fighting me. 
I claim I don't even want to live that much longer. I don't never, this has ever happened to me. Should I go to the hospital? You know, and, and she is sick with a fever. And watch this, watch this, keep reading. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to what? Serve them. Okay, let's picture this for a second. She's over in the corner, Simon's mother-in-law, she's laying there sick. She can't even get up, she's this fever, she's terribly sick. Simon says, Jesus, my mother-in-law, she's sick, okay? And many people believe that why Mark has such detail on this, because this story meant a lot to Peter. She's laying there deathly sick. Jesus walks over, takes her hand and starts lifting her up. She gets up. Hey, you guys want something to eat? I'll get it for you, all right? How would you respond? Like, like when I'm sick, I need at least a day of recovery, a day of telling everybody to pity me and then I'm back to work, right? I mean, she gets up and she's like, let's eat. Wouldn't you be like, um, I guess fish. Wow. What a day in the life of Jesus. Scripture says, then that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed. No, 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 Jesus needs a nap. What? It's evening. And my more, my more, my more in tune readers go, oh, didn't you say what day this was? What day was it? So now all the Jews can come out now that it's dark. Oh no, oh yes. They found out about the demon-possessed guy getting, yeah, probably. They found out about Jesus, yeah, probably. And they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. I hope that's an idiom saying, it was like everybody was there. But if it wasn't, oh my goodness. Either way, they were overwhelmed by the crowds. If all of you just showed up at my house today, my wife would probably just be like laying on the ground, okay? Terrified of what is about to happen, right? I'd be like, hon, let's find, we can feed them, I think. They're not coming for that. They will. They're coming with demon-possessed people, church. What is this crowd like? They're coming with some of the most unclean, terrifying, scary people you could ever be around. And they were sick people as well. I mean, was there any kind of like getting away from each other? Nope. They're gathering, pressing in. I mean, my goodness, Peter's mom just got healthy and now we got a crowd of sick people here. And he cast out many demons, scripture says, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, wait, 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 time out, what? Jesus, you just had the day of days. You got to evening. You were confronting the demonic realm. Some of us have a 15-minute oral presentation at school and we have to rest for a couple days. You are confronting the demonic realm. People were coming over to your house, sick and oppressed all around. You should probably sleep in. 
And rising very in the merling, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. This word searched, if you trace it back to its roots, it's not like, I wonder where he is. It's, where is he? I mean, we've got, you wouldn't believe how many people are at my house this morning. Where is, I mean, has anybody seen Jesus? This search is like a hunt. We've got to find him. And he finally finds him. And Peter, in a veiled or like kind of rebuke. I mean, Jesus, we got a lot of people that want to talk. It's a little irresponsible that you disappeared. It's a little irresponsible that you're running around. There's a little bit of a veiled kind of, he says, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. How many of you have been in leadership and felt like everyone is looking for you? Hold up, let me finish this call. Hold up, wait, I got one more. Hey, what, I'll be right over. Hey, I got, I, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. Hey, I meant to get back to your text. Hey, oh, that email. I'm so sorry that was two days. Hey, I'll get there. Oh, I'm sorry I'm running late. Hey, give me 10 minutes. I'm almost there. I'm on my way. Everyone's looking for you. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. If you've ever felt that emotion, what do you do? Let's find out. But one of the things I see is Jesus after one of his most exhausting days of his life, is up early and is off by himself. Irresponsibly, in the eyes of Peter, it seems, praying. You know what I wrote down in my notes? I need, if I'm busy, I need more irresponsible prayer time. Keep it in context or it doesn't make sense. I need to spend more time in prayer when I'm busy, not less. You know Martin Luther, you've heard the name. He had a little bit of an important life. He's noted for saying this. If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. Why? Because everyone was looking for Luther. He goes on and says this. I have so much busyness, I cannot get on without spending three hours in prayer. You spend three hours in prayer, I bet you somebody's gonna be like, hello, we got a few people here at the office. I wrote down, I need more irresponsible prayer time. Peter says, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that's why I came out. He doesn't say, sweet, let's start a church. He says, let's keep going. Because the crowds weren't there to hear the truth. The crowds weren't there to hear the Bible. The crowds were there because they wanted what Jesus could offer them. Healing. Nothing wrong with that. They were there though because they wanted a relative or someone to get freedom. Nothing wrong with that, but they were there for other reasons than why Jesus came out. And he said, I understand everyone's looking for me, but I have to stay on mission. And he went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues 
and casting out demons. And the leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Stop right there. Time, time out. Did anybody do a timeout when you read that? Hold up, what, what came? Uh, uh, oh, uh, a leper. Oh, 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 a leper. You cannot think of a more unclean person in that time period than a leper. There were over 72 types of leprous skin disease. Some of us are thinking more of the Hansen's disease where your hands curl up and die but leprosy was a massive deal. Did you know the rabbis taught back at that time that it would be easier for a man to be resurrected from the dead than for a leper to be healed from his leprosy? A leper? Do you know that scripture, was anybody reading Leviticus this week for their devotions? No, no, okay. Do you know that Leviticus has two chapters of ceremonial laws dealing with, I'm losing notes, dealing with, Leprosy. Let me read a couple to you. Listen, listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, so this is from God. This isn't from the doctor. This is from God. When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought before Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of the body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair is not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And then the priest shall examine him. It goes on and on and on. This is called the ceremonial laws. Lepers would be tested. Have you ever gone for a biopsy? and had to wait for the results, then you know what we're talking about here. You're waiting to hear, is it malignant? Is it something that's going to cause my death? And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and oh, the joy when it's not. But oh, the reality when it is. Do you know what the reality was for a leper? Isolation from their family most likely for the rest of their life. It meant loneliness. It meant a painful death, for leprosy would be painful. So there's hopelessness being introduced into the person's life when they hear that. There's isolation being introduced into the person's life when they hear that. There is a feeling of rejection that naturally comes from that for they had to go to a colony. And they must, the law said, stay 50 paces from anyone. Why? For if someone would be walking home and they got within 50 paces of a leper, they would be declared unclean. And do you think there were a few Pharisees and Sadducees watching? Oh yeah. 
And so therefore, they couldn't be anywhere near them for they had leprosy and they could be contagious. They didn't know, they weren't sure and they had to be 50 paces away. And if you were a leper and you happened to see somebody coming and they didn't know it was you, you had to cry out. You had to cry out for them, unclean, unclean, stay away, unclean, stay away from me. And the people quickly move away. Leprosy was the ultimate defeating diagnosis. And you're telling me that this leper ignores all the ceremonial laws, spots Jesus. It seems to be that Jesus is off his own for Jesus later tells him something that indicates there was some privacy involved. So I gotta think Peter was nearby. I gotta think Peter was near. Jesus is walking along and this leper comes out of nowhere, comes running up to him, ignores all the ceremonial laws, bows down before him, just falls before Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. I wonder, I wonder if there was a disciple. Oh my, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word. And Jesus is just standing there. What will he do? This is disgusting. This is horrible. Do you know anybody you view this way? Like, oh, oh get, away. Ew, get away from me. Oh, don't you come near my family. You stay away. Like, oh. This is all of that in one spot. What will my savior do? Scripture says this. Jesus moved with pity, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Hold up. Jesus, you don't just go cleansing a leper. Do you understand what's gonna happen when word gets out? You are setting a precedent you can't keep up with. You should really hold back. Hold up, Jesus, don't touch him. You could get leprosy. Oh my goodness, Jesus, don't touch him. Think about how many reasons Jesus has to kind of say, hey, this is probably not a good move for me. If I do this, all the crowds are gonna go crazy. It's gonna be so much harder for me to do ministry. I mean, Jesus, you really gotta think through what you're about to do. And he touches him and says, I will. Scripture says he was moved. Do you know what's interesting? You trace the root of moved. It can mean Sadness, but did you know it also can mean anger? It's as if we have this beautiful image of Jesus angry about what the effects of sin and the fall have done to people. Have you ever seen someone dying of a disease and you felt some righteous anger? You know, Jesus understands that. Look what sin does. Not necessarily in this man, but because he lives in a sin-cursed earth where there's disease and moved with almost this beautiful combination of a righteous anger at what's happened to him. Oh, Jesus, if you touch him, the Pharisees and Sadducees are gonna have a field day with you. Maybe you should just not do it. Oh, Jesus, the crowds, I will be cleaned. And the man Guess how fast the leprosy went away? Anybody want to take a shot? <laughs> and immediately, 
The leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, don't tell anyone. The words like stern, do not tell anyone I did this. Just because I did it, don't tell anyone. And he got up and left. And what did he do? Y'all read ahead. He told everyone. This is the first sign of a disobedient evangelist. Everybody, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? And scripture says Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus, you knew it was going to get harder for you if you did that. You knew what the Pharisees are going to say about you touching that. You went against the law. Some of you are like, wait a minute, he went against the ceremonial law given by God? I heard an awesome illustration by a preacher of this. He said, yeah, when you pull up to a traffic light, if it's red, you stop. If it's yellow, if you're in the Northeast, you accelerate. No, no, you just use caution. If it's green, you go. But sometimes traffic lights have accidents at them. And the police pull up and they go out into the middle of the traffic light and they stand there and the light might be red and they're going like this. And you go through. Because when the embodiment of the law is standing there, it supersedes the law that we know. And so because it's there, I'm saying go ahead. But there's a traffic light. I understand that. I am the authority here. Jesus is the embodiment of the law, amen? And he said, be clean. You can't touch him, it's against, be clean. I have come not only to fulfill the law, but I am the Lord of it. And we will see he's also the Lord of the Sabbath. And he heals him. Church, if we're gonna be examples of Jesus Christ, he must become greater and we must become less. And I think the only way we're gonna do that is if in the busyness of our lives, when mom, it feels like everyone is looking for you. Young person, it feels like every coach is demanding something of you. Teacher, when it feels like everyone isn't getting it, Senior saint, when it feels like everyone doesn't know you're there. When we're feeling all these things, what do we do? When I know something's coming, what do I do? We see throughout the gospel of Mark that Mark points something out. When Jesus is about to have a big moment, and make no mistake, folks, this leper was a massive moment. The crowds came roaring to him. When Jesus has those moments, we find him away in prayer before it. Maybe even some irresponsible prayer to Peter. That's a lot of prayer. We have stuff to do today. And so I wrote down, what are some of the characteristics I can apply in my life when I know something's coming that might be hard? Maybe you're sitting here today and Thursday, you got something, don't you? You're like, how did you know? I don't know, I'm guessing. Maybe it's Friday, college student, or maybe it's Sunday night and the paper's due. It's finals time, isn't it? 
for the college students, uh, maybe something's coming up. Maybe there's a test, maybe there's a game. Maybe there's a business meeting. Maybe there's a confrontation. Maybe there's something you're looking out into your week. And maybe that day, instead of just getting up and taking it on like you typically do, maybe you apply the irresponsible prayer formula. What is it? It's not hard. Three steps. All from Jesus, not from my head. Simply this. Get up. What? Get up. He got up. He got up early. Here's my question for us all to think through in our small groups or whatever. How much value do you put on prayer to start your day? Especially when you got a big one. You know there's a lot of difficulty gonna be possibly coming that day. How much value do you place on it? You go, is this important? I'm just telling you what my savior does when he has a big day. Don't take this from Pastor Chris. Take this from Jesus. This is how he starts his day. He gets up. And what does he do? He does this. He gets away. It's not in the kitchen while everybody's running around. It's not in the meeting while everybody's gathering in the room. He is already up and he's gotten away. I ask this question, how intentional are you about getting away to pray in your life? Especially if you're someone who is challenged with, man, it feels like everybody wants something from me. How intentional are you being? Because church, I'm giving you the Jesus example on how to refuel your emotional tank. Have you noticed vacations don't do it? In fact, especially when the kids are little, I came back more tired from the vacations. Just getting away or quitting. The devil loves, oh, you know what? You should just stop doing it. No, no, it's not gonna do it. You refuel by getting up and getting away. And then finally, by getting alone. How much time do you spend in solitude and prayer? If you have some pushback where you're not sure, maybe try it. I'm wondering if Jesus knows what he's doing. Because if the savior of the world needed to get up and get away and get alone with his heavenly father to take on the day, what on earth makes us think we can just go get him, baby? The devil laughs at our activity. He is petrified. Guys, when you get on your knees and you fight like a man. Ladies, he is petrified when you get on your knees and you fight for your family in prayer. Go ahead and do your activity, sometimes even your religious activity. But when you pray, things change. Why? Because you're applying, he must become greater and I must become less. There's a formula I was given that's really helped me in leadership when I'm feeling kind of maxed. I'm gonna give it to you three. It's real quick. Watch this, watch this. Have you, do, do any of you know this? It is so true, it's unbelievable. It's one of those things where like, wow, that really is true. It goes right along with get up, get alone, and get away. Here it is, here it is. Change of pace. Change of your routine, okay? Change of pace. Plus, change of place. Equals change of perspective. Sometimes, 
Our pastors will literally just have a meeting where we never have meetings just to change our pace, change our place so that we change our perspective. I can get into these ruts, guys, where I'm like, oh my word, percusy, 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 percusy. And I just need to get out of this state. And it's amazing how all of a sudden percusy doesn't feel so stressful. In fact, on Google Maps, one click of the Zoom, percusy's gone. Doesn't even show up. But I can make it this huge deal. Huge deal. Oh my goodness, I don't even know how we're gonna survive. I don't even know. One Zoom, you're not even there. One Zoom. That's why we go on vacation and we start thinking about, what do I wanna do with my life? Because you changed your pace, you changed your place, and so it's changing your perspective. What perspective change do you think occurs when you get away to pray with your heavenly father? I bet when you look at the crowds and your move of anger and annoyance and disgusting, do you hear these things? It might just change your perspective. And you look at them and you're moved with compassion. Nobody in this room is gonna be a fisher of men. You'll be a keeper of the tank. Nobody's gonna be a fisher of men unless he is greater and I am less. When I look at the crowds, let it be a barometer for me. Do I feel pity at the way the devil is lying to them and moving them astray? Because if I do, it might just lead to a new perspective on how I live. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and showing us how to look at things. God, there's things in this world that anger us and frustrate us. In fact, they, they affect our comforts at times, Lord. They affect, they hurt our feelings. They mock at times, God, and we get so frustrated. We need these reminders. And God, there's some people in our life, we look at them as so disgusting and dirty and stay away from me and get away from my kids, get away from my family. And we might need a change of perspective because somehow we forgot that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. How good is he to love me first? And he says, copy me. Copy me. And when you see the crowds, be moved by compassion. Oh, but the Pharisees will say, God, yeah, they will. And they said it to Jesus. Oh, but they might take advantage. Yeah, they will. And they did it to Jesus. But at the heart of his mission was to do his father's will. And so if we're followers, may he become greater and we become less. Heavenly Father, you used a group of baseball players who made a commitment to grab Gospels of John 
and give them out to everyone they played and came in contact with after each game. And you use them to become evangelists for you because one young man, one influential young man was moved by compassion. May we change our perspective on the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.